Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast. Life and the choices we make. The choices other people make. Why we choose to ignore the red flags. Red flags like gaslighting, cheating, addiction, mental illness, and much more. What role do they play in relationships? Follow me each week as we discuss these topics with anonymous guests and experts to hopefully become better humans, resulting in better choices. Like I say, been there, still doing that. Now on to the show. Hello everybody, Anonymous Andrew back with you today. And today I have another guest um, from the United Kingdom. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewed in the United Kingdom, and today I have somebody joining me from the United Kingdom. Today we have Chris Paprutney, if I think I said that right. Chris, did, say your name for me. Yeah, it's Chris Paprutney. Paprutney. Okay. Chris Paprutney is a certified trauma specialist and hypnotherapist, and his background is in the field of human behavior, Reiki, energy healing, and child psychology. Um, so Chris, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here today? Because I'm interested. Yeah. So, um, basically I had a kind of what I'd refer to as like a spiritual awakening back in 2018. So I had like depersonalization, derealization at the time I had, um, a marriage of must have been around six five six years um obviously had two kids and that kind of slowly broke down as i sort of went away from my old life and into more of my new life so previously i was a chartered accountant and then i moved across into like life coaching obviously reiki as you mentioned hypnotherapy and sort of more of a, a spiritual nature where kind of my identity that i'd grown up with all those limiting beliefs and structures that i had had then fallen away so that kind of then got me into um, obviously trauma-informed um, sort of life coaching, looking at childhood traumas and kind of my own work and my own sort of inner healing and growth had kind of then started during that part of that process as that fell away. So I then spent uh, the next sort of two, three years going through with my own work. Um, obviously, life as I knew it was fading away and falling away in terms of like your standard nine to five job and working in the world of accountancy. So I went from sort of understanding problems and identifying sort of issues within 10,000 lines of text to working more with people's mindsets and how the mind and how the conditioning and how we're sort of um all brought up in different environments but we have the underlying sort of issues of childhood trauma and and obviously narcissism that then comes in we've then got past life traumas that is kind of a side of like the hypnotherapy that i deal with so it kind of all went down more that route and i was solving people's problems in terms of like an alignment perspective so my background then was in alignment with that but then i've obviously got my own personal lessons my own growth and my own development on this planet that needs to kind of come into my own personal like self-realization and my actualization of self to then step more into my purpose so that's kind of a bit of the background as to how my normal life was and then it kind of migrated more into like the spiritual sense and then i kind of ended up in a relationship that was then more promotive of my spiritual gifts 
And that's kind of, for me then, where like the narcissistic side came in, but it was only after a few triggers and a lot of work on my own side to work out where my own sort of upbringing and childhood was leading me to attract certain types of people or become a people pleaser. And um, (laughs) because you then kind of have that whole, you're intelligent, you're clever, you're looking for like validation and acceptance, then there's kind of underlying little ties there that kind of link in and then you can kind of piece the jigsaw together so um i kind of went on a self-discovery journey or the hero's journey as many people may or may not know it as if you follow sort of the the um the overarching theme but then that's kind of where my backgrounds kind of led to so from 2018 onwards it's just been that self-discovery taking other people through their traumas and um, kind of getting more involved in like the human behavioral side and trying to piece people's lives together so they can make sense of it. So whereas we live it in a very um, kind of linear fashion, what we work out is that many of the behaviors that we get are developed in like certain key developmental periods of life. So you might find zero to seven is phase one, eight to 14 phase two 15 to 21 is phase three mm-hmm. and you'll find that there's key events across those that then kind of make your story and make who you are as an individual so that's kind of where now i try and strip that all back and try and work out patterns of behaviors and then work out why things are or aren't working and functioning in the uh, the way that you wish to kind of come across them from that stage uh as you were speaking, so many questions and thoughts came to me all at once, uh, and I'm jotting them all down. It's interesting, you mentioned two terms, or actually three terms. Uh, there's an article in this month's Men's Health magazine all about narcissism, and you know that seems to be the word of the day in, in, in the world. You know, But when I was growing up, it, it was manic depressive, and then it was... Um, they threw around the word bipolar every every couple of years it seems to be that word of the day and and narcissism seems to be in the social uh everything is some if a relationship goes bad they always blame it oh he was he or she was a narcissist and then you also Mm -hmm. you also mentioned the phrase people pleaser and i was listening to a podcast just an hour ago about people pleasing um, and I think I am a people pleaser. I, I, in fact, I know I am. Um, and then earlier you had mentioned something about the type of people that we look for in relationships. I, I think I'm not sure if you said it that way. So, um, do you want to talk about narcissism and get, get into that a little bit? So, well, it's, it's kind of one of those kind of taboo areas. People like to like band a term around, but they don't necessarily like to understand enough or go into enough of that term. So for me, narcissism, um, it's a label. It's a way of describing something. So for instance, it's like there are traits that leaders have that are very much, they're not like controlling but they have to be at the forefront. They have to be leading by example. They have to be very blunt to the point, instructive, direct. So these are sort of elements that can get wrapped into sort of the narcissist term, because obviously when you associate narcissism, you associate with manipulation and control or coercion. So when we look at it from that perspective, it's very easy both ways to say, well, somebody's narcissistic but they're not necessarily being diagnosed with a disorder 
or any sort of personality traits, because that's where under the clinical diagnosis comes in. But when we're looking at narcissistic, we're looking at going the other way. So what I do is I use it as a reference label for somebody who has basically grown up with some either developmental or acute trauma in the first seven years of childhood. So this is when their developmental years are and you learn how to associate with people. So when I statistically use the term narcissistic, it's a collection of terms that are basically attributed to a survival adaptation that was created in the first seven years of survival. So because we have to learn to link and survive and we have to then go into family A, which is obviously our immediate family, you then have family B, which is your wider sort of scale of family. You then have sort of the early years of schooling where there's sort of a school type of friends, family dynamic, and then you kind of understand to kind of build these layers up. Whereas statistically what happens is there will be an event of some kind that happens in the early years that triggers a survival adaptation or a survival response, which isn't your usual kind of here's a kind, loving, nurturing family where you're openly expressing like emotions, you're able to kind of feel you're given the environment that's safe. And as such, what this does is it creates this kind of alternate personality. So if you think of it from a well, we'll use the like the sexual reference um, perspective. But if you're sexually abused in those first seven years, what you do is you have this wounded child that basically can't cope, can't deal with, and can't develop coping skills for the processing of whatever that trauma was that they received through that experience. So in that moment, you have two options. One, you make yourself unsafe because that then protects everybody around you. Because if you're unsafe, then obviously everybody else then remains safe. But from a psychological perspective, that's not very clever because you're then always going to be in a state where your nervous system is fight, flight, freeze, or obviously fawn, which is kind of the people-pleasing aspect. So what we have is we have a situation whereby if you make yourself unsafe, then you're constantly going to be in a state of fight and flight all the time. And your nervous system isn't ever going to get time to rest. So psychologically and behaviorally, you will find that there are kids that act out because they make themselves unsafe. Whereas what most people do is they take the shame and the guilt of the abuser, but they then don't make themselves unsafe. They make the other person safe but then they take the shame and the guilt element and they constantly use it as if they're not good enough so it's kind of an indirect way of saying i'm a danger to myself but obviously at the time you're never going to know that obviously this is something outside of your control it's like your primary carer becomes your primary abuser mm. and the only way you can become safe is by making them safe while you're unsafe but you can't make yourself unsafe you have to create this alternate identity which is where the narcissism or the survival adaptation or the people pleasing or whatever that element looks like, then kind of gets created in its early infancy. So what we then find is because that then gets created, you show up as this alternate identity. 
but you've also got a couple of stages that you have to be mindful of because you have the life that's in the public eye you have the life that's in the eyes of those that are private to you or family or close to you and then you have this secret life so obviously when you come up and you show in front of society then you're this really kind loving caring person because that's how you learn to fit in with society what you then have is in private you have the kind of the uglier elements that kind of surface so this is where like people will get an early glimpse of well hold on you've got a bit of a temper or yeah you've got a bit of a rage or where you start to see these narcissistic elements more sort of overflowing but that's in more of your intimate relationships and you then have the secret life which is obviously with this trauma that kind of nobody knows about and potentially you yourself have shut it off it's like you may have coping mechanisms whereby you counted in order to separate you have disassociation you have cognitive dissonance and you have kind of a um, stuffed set of emotions that kind of rear their head every so often but it's very much a, well, I don't know where it comes from, but I'm still not able to cope with it and process it. And then because of all of those setups, what you then find is that a lot of people then come into a position whereby they get into a relationship with somebody. Then you get the public facing persona, right? So you meet this person, they're really good looking, they're academic. They've obviously got themselves to a stage whereby in order to get validation or recognition, they have to be like an overachiever, for instance. And then because they're an overachiever, they constantly get the validation from people outside of themselves, even though they themselves lack the validation for their self. So then you think, well, this person's really great. Obviously, you get involved with them. You then start hanging around them. You get like the honeymoon phase, which is where everything's like, let's create a family. Let's do all of this stuff together. Let's go on holidays. And you kind of get this fantasy or fairy tale type dynamic created. Mm. And then you think, well, this is good. And then you further develop the obviously the relationship itself and you go further into it you may or may not move in with them or you may or may not kind of spend more and more time with them and slowly moving towards that side but obviously you're never going to get a true glimpse of any real red flags at this stage because you're still in the public eye so what then kind of progresses from there is you get more into the private life but when there aren't kids involved or there isn't a family involved you're still at that conscious creation stage whereby it's like well what life do we want it's like well we want to go and work and play and obviously do all these wonderful things in terms of holidays beaches and and you kind of have that conscious creation aspect but it's the subconscious that kicks in after the honeymoon phase where you start to see patterns of behavior learned relationships from obviously parent and family dynamics from childhood and then you start seeing who kind of this person potentially is not from a this is what I'd like you to be perspective, but this is who you actually are perspective. But what you find is at this stage, we don't have that breakdown of that fantasy because we're still living in that fantasy of what they could be and who they could potentially become. And this is then where it opens up that door for the narcissistic elements to come out and one party will kind of be anxious avoidant and 
it's it, it basically boils down to attachment styles at the end of the day so it's how you attach are you secure in which case you should be fine are you codependent are you anxious avoidant are you dismissive avoidant are you open or what does that look like but you'll find that the person that you have kind of come into contact with will energetically have picked up something whereby the two of you between you can show each other where you're out of balance so we're not necessarily saying narcissism is a bad thing from the perspective of well at some point they were a victim of narcissistic abuse themselves mm. right so we have to understand that from our perspective in the first place it's like they're a victim that doesn't realize they've survived whereas kind of tendency becomes once you start talking about it and you're at the stage where you and I are at, where we've had our own experiences, we can kind of say, well, hold on, we're survivors of narcissistic abuse. But we realize the fact that we have survived, whereas somebody who has this childhood trauma is still living within that identity mm -hmm. and they've never realized that they are a survivor. So taking somebody like that to the position of healing becomes a lot more difficult. It's like if you take a six or seven year old boy or girl for instance and take the toy away from them that is their identity that they've known for the last 30 years you're never going to get it without them kicking and screaming right right so it's so deeply ingrained that that's all they know and that's all they know how to show up and then what happens is you come along as the savior thinking well hold on i can give them a better life but then this comes down to a wider kind of overarching theme in society whereby i don't think men or women actually vet their partner to the stage of well who do i want them to be because statistically speaking like most guys just want a female who will support them back them up while they grow while they then become the main provider while they are the breadwinner but what's happened in this day and age is because of these warped dynamics and how like men have defeminized women at a young age and then they've had to adopt all these alternate personas and how women then counter that by raising weak men, i.e. like men that then become boys and then they're subject to potential control. And this works both ways. It's not just a male on female or a female on male role. It can happen in any way, shape and or form. So it it then becomes that society is not creating role models or human beings in a form that's going to be substantial for the existence of humanity moving forward. And then because we have all these narcissistic traits going on, we basically end up taking each of the sexes and making them less than what they actually are. So it then becomes this perpetual cycle of constant abuse. And then you go into a position where you're then trauma bonded. Mm -hmm. And then you spend the rest of your life not even realizing you're trauma bonded, trying to work out what the trauma bond is in order to then get yourself to a position whereby you can start to understand who you should be as an individual. And then because of a lot of the time, most of the men go out and provide, these men aren't then providing the background or the ability for the boys that are being created to then become men so we're losing like the gentlemanly aspect but we're also losing this feminine aspect that supports the male to support the female so we're then getting these warped 
kind of survival adaptations that are then creating all these weird dynamics in relationships, which is why we're seeing more divorces, which mm -hmm. is why we're seeing more men being abused. But it's not because the men are being abused. It's because the role models and the dynamics that should be playing out in relationships are no longer the same. And it's all because one event in one bloodline or one generational line at some point led to an imbalance in the roles that the, the, the humans in that line should have been playing. And then what we find is that you end up becoming the person that then starts seeing it so far down the line. Mm -hmm. But then you have to undo generational trauma. So like I could, I could go on for like hours about how these little dynamics go off. So I don't know where you want to go with it next, but, well, but that's I, kind of a, a brief overview for you. Again, I'm just listening and fascinated with this is the first time I've actually heard like you take the, somebody take the word narcissism and, and dissect it and give me the the true meaning or or the history of it and and how it actually develops in a child and of course this is my ex-girlfriend this is how this is what happened to her in her childhood and mm -hmm. what what i you also use the word potential um and in a couple of my episodes we talked about we felt we fall in love with the potential version of that person. So we see that person, we meet that person. Like you said, we're on our best behavior for the first six months, the honeymoon period. And that's mm -hmm. the person we fall in love with. And then that person splits off into their, their real persona or like, like you had explained. And we're still in love with that potential person that's no longer there. And, and they, they have, it's like at the fork in the road, they have gone that way and I, and we've gone that way. And also, so thank you for that explanation because it really helped me understand a little bit better. And, and I think, I think you also, you didn't say it directly, but there's narcissistic personality disorder and then there's narcissistic tendencies, right? There's a difference mm -hmm. between, right. So, yep. so yep. somebody may not be diagnosed MPD, but they have narcissistic tendencies. And I, uh, in, in this article I was reading, we all have, a, a, to a degree, narcissism. I mean, we have to. If 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 there is any, if we if we have to self love our love ourselves, some people might say that's narcissism. But self love comes in a form. Uh, maybe it should be called narcissism. But um, you know, the person that goes to the gym and works out and takes selfies of himself and posts them. He's happy and proud of, of what he has accomplished in the gym and he's showing off his body. Is that narcissism or is that just? I'd say part of that's vanity. vanity. Um, we, to be fair, if you're too busy about your appearance, then that once again is an external kind right. of element. So when you're saying like self-care, self-love, these are all internal elements that allow and facilitate our healing. Um, I'm just going to go back to your point from earlier. So you mentioned the fact of obviously the um, period whereby we're in that honeymoon phase and we're getting to know the individual. So my understanding of that is that's designed to show you what life can be like. So there is an element that is kind of fantasy, but this is where dreams come in. So it's like if I was creating the ideal relationship, this is the mold or this is the fabric that I'd go with. And 
we need to distinguish then at that point between, well, yes, it is the dream fantasy, but you have to create from thought and you have to create through experience. So when we look at that element, it's like I take relationships and take them a step back. So in an ideal world, this is how it could be. How do I know this? Because we're consciously creating it now. So in an ideal world, if we didn't have trauma, if we didn't have all of these societal conditionings, if we didn't have anything else going on in the background, then we could potentially aim for that. We could get that, we could achieve it. How do I know this? Because we're currently creating it because the programs haven't kicked in yet and the conscious um, or rather the subconscious elements haven't then kicked in to show us how far adrift of that we are. So in an ideal world, you then get into a relationship whereby you have two people that understand the healing journey and they understand that they've got their demons they've got their inner child work to do they've got their shadow work to do they've got all these elements that they need to clear from bloodlines they've got lessons and growth and then what you should find is that one of them props the other one up different people grow at different rates at different times based on different experiences and different lessons but if you can have two people forming a foundation that facilitates the growth of the other then you're kind of in a position whereby you can work towards that fantasy. But you have to be in a position whereby it's like, oh, well, this is good. Otherwise, you wouldn't stay in the relationship in the first place. Right. So it has to be good and originally to show you what it can become. And I think because of how society is, we don't get taught that this is how relationships should function. What we get taught is that you need to be with somebody and then you have separate roles and you do separate things. And then you go looking for somebody because a part of them completes you. Even though you're whole and complete on your own, you've mm. just given a part of you away, had something taken away or lost an element of you at some point in life. So it's like when we look at relationships from that side, right? Narcissism just becomes one of these lessons or hurdles. It's like, right, you've had a trauma. Yes, you've been triggered. Yes, you've put your walls up. Yes, you've had all this abuse. But can we work on it? It's not going to be pretty, right? It's not going to be like a, some five-minute thing. There's going to be different lessons. There'll be different experiences. There'll be multiple times across multiple periods in life where you've had the same thing shown to you. But you're constantly going to get these opportunities to deal with it. And then that's when like the free will element comes in as to do I deal with it and do I get on with it? Or... Do I choose to continue the abuse? Why? Because I have to feel as though I'm in control. Why? Because I have to make sure I'm safe and therefore I have to control my surroundings so that I'm safe. But then what we find is that because we then continue all of these, we never get back to that original honeymoon phase and no. that all of the good stuff side because we're never taught this in school. It's like money. You're never taught about money. Why is everybody broke? The same reason. Nobody's taught how to create a firm foundational relationship built on stability and growth right we're all just taught that we're separate and that we tear each other apart and then when you look at that separation it's mirrored through these survival adaptations that were created as early as childhood in order to keep you separate even from yourself so we have these terms that we can band around and we can label and we group things but ultimately there is just a, a survival adaptation that comes to the fore at some point 
but that person is so ingrained in that identity that they can never get back to consciously creating what they wish to in the first place and this is where the big thing for me is it's like there's a lot of guys and girls that don't even know they have these traumas and they don't even want to look at the traumas or they can't look at the traumas because it's literally an ego death or an identity death Mm -hmm. as soon as you go anywhere near it so when you have all these like talks of red flags it's like you could be years into a relationship and you could uncover something that is just there by chance and then you start questioning it's like oh hold on that that seems a bit controlling or manipulative and Mm -hmm. as soon as you start putting these feelers out then you can literally have a relationship destroyed three years in Mm -hmm. just because you find out one tiny little bit of information and it kick starts the healing so it doesn't kick start the breakdown of the relationship it goes here's an opportunity for us now to look at this and heal it the problem is we're not educated no. in how to sit, hold space, deal with it, be emotionally vulnerable. And all these things then let us down. And then we wonder why, oh, well, that relationship didn't work. And then, oh, the next one's the exact same. Yep. And, that and was we bad. end up going through cycles and it's just, it's, it's crazy. It really is. And, and that's, and, and that's what happened to me. Um, again, I, I would, repeat the same behavior um over and over again in relationships i would get into a relationship and and it would the honeymoon period whatever the audience knows this i've been in three relationships in the past eight years uh, in my sobriety and they've none of them worked out and then i would just go right back i'd i would grieve for a month or two and go right back out there and get back into another relationship and then the same pattern starts all over again um and again you as you were talking, so many questions came up and we just can't cover all of them. I, I might need to have you come back for part two. Um, just a quick, <laughs> just a, I got two, one quick question because I, I only mentioned the man in the gym taking photos of himself because it was just in the article and they were, there was, the article is actually entitled or does does taking a selfie mean that you're a narcissist? You know, these people who post, you know, hundreds of photos of themselves on Instagram, whatever, um, and they use the the man in the gym focusing. What and, and I'm not sure how to phrase this. The my ex <clears throat> at one point early in the relationship started sharing some intimate photos of herself from her cell phone. She would send me nude, nude photos. And, and I would, I would question her. I would say like, wow, who took this? And it it, it turned out that she would video herself walking around her, her apartment or her bedroom. She would put the phone up against something and video herself for, for 20 minutes walking around naked in high heels and all made up. And then she would take stills of the, of that video and send them to me. Who, who does that? Who, who videos themselves in the nude and for what purpose is that? Is that narcissism or is that vanity? Is that self-confidence or, or do so you don't feel if you're enough? looking? Yeah. If you're looking at 
sort of somebody that needs external validation right that's all it boils down to so it comes down to like let's let's strip it back even from your example anybody that has to get up in the morning and post on social media not for the sake of just posting right but because they look at all these likes and they look at all these follows and they look at all the feedback from the external environment there's either a lack of validation or a lack of acceptance or ultimately it boils down to not feeling as though they're enough so mm. you could have the most glamorous gorgeous handsome guy or girl who has an insecurity whereby they don't feel that they're enough and the only way they look for the validation or the acceptance is from something outside of right. themselves so right. it's 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 a coping mechanism if we simplify it yeah right so at some point they weren't made to feel enough or they were told they were ugly or they were told yeah. that they would never make it in life and this is how they counter it because it's easier to do it this way than it is to actually do the inner work and the inner healing and, and they get actually, themselves to a position. And yeah. they actually get validated. Most of somebody who goes viral or, or, or they get a thousand likes on that photograph on Instagram, they, mm -hmm. they, they literally sit there and watch all the hearts go up and down the screen. I, I've seen people do that and, and people are, are excited when they have 10,000 likes and followers and um, yeah. Okay. Um, the term people pleaser. Um, yep. I believe I fall into that category. Can you touch on that a little bit? What, where does so that come this, from? This is a fawn response. So when you have fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze, obviously the fourth element of it is fawn. So this is basically just people pleasing. So what you do is you avoid conflict or you don't like being the center of attention and the easiest way to deal with it is to please the people that are around you so that they don't have an element of conflict that then gets created from you. So, for instance, it's, uh, oh, do you think I look pretty in this dress, right, if your partner asks you, right? You're not going to say no, no because you know that she can't <laughs> handle the truth, which is going to cause you a problem because you then become the end result of right. whatever she's going to throw at you. So if she's had a bad day, you're going to be the person that told her she doesn't look uh -huh. pretty in this dress, <laughs> right? Whereas what should happen is you should be like, look, I've got your best interests in mind. If it was me, I really don't like how you look in this dress, right? You should be able to openly say that, mm. right? But in the back of your mind, because you're a people pleaser, you are instantly making everything negative. So you're instantly going to a, yeah, but she's going to come back at me and it's going to be my fault that she mm. doesn't look good in this dress, as an example, right? Right. No, Whereas you're right. Even, even if you've got their best interests in mind, you're not going to be honest with them. Right. Because you have to make sure that you minimize the conflict. But this could easily be because you've come from a background whereby your parents didn't have good conflict resolution skills. Right. They had arguments, but it was like, well, they've argued today. They've kind of put it to bed and then it rears its ugly head two, three, four days later. And you're used to this kind of chaotic environment. So you become the people pleaser so that you can avoid all the conflict. 
So rather than having all these ups and downs, what you do is you correspond your responses to make sure that you have a nice, smooth trajectory. You don't have these peaks and troughs of, oh, it's quiet, it's chaotic, it's quiet, it's chaotic. And then what you find is because you're the people pleaser, you then want to save everybody as well. Yep. Right? Because if you don't then go and save everybody, then you don't have a purpose. You don't have a role. And that's basically where the validation and the acceptance element comes in, but the opposite of what we discussed earlier. So you can see how you can have literally everything in life doesn't have a meaning. It only has the meaning that you give it, which means it can play out both ways with the same scenario, but ultimately seeking the same result. So we've got the validation and the acceptance, i.e. if I tell you that you look fine, even though potentially you don't, you're not going to conflict me, but then I'm accepted because my answer is acceptable to you. Yeah. In the same way, somebody that has the images and pictures, they need somebody outside of them to then go, yes, you're accepted. Right. So you can have different models and makeups and structures and different ways the lesson plays out. But ultimately, the underlying lesson still remains that you're looking for validation, you're looking for acceptance, be it people pleasing or be it extroverted and throwing a load of images out for people to give you feedback on yeah so it works both ways but it's yeah. an it's an amazing system when you have a look at how some of this stuff is structured i, I really i'm is. fascinated by your insight into some, some of this because the, these are common terms thrown around in society today people pleaser narcissism uh, i have another one what what is passive aggressive is that a form of people pleasing no. So passive aggressive is where you are looking to do harm, but it's not active. So by that, it's it's one of those things. It's an element of narcissism. So okay. what you'll find is the narcissist wants to do one of two things. They either want to make themselves appear better or they need to make you worse than they are. Right. So it's a yep. twofold thing. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to do that is by literally telling you how bad you are, yeah. but by comparing you to somebody else. Yeah. So what you might find it looks like is, oh, yeah, um, I don't think you're very good at this. And I bet if I asked your mum, dad, sister, brother, friend, they would also say the same thing. So you're basically reinforcing your point, but indirectly. But all it's designed to do is to minimize you because ultimately the narcissist doesn't have their own sense of self. They can't self-reflect and they don't have their own value and they don't have their own worth. So what then happens is they have to look for it in you. But then at some point, because they've looked for it in you, then they then have to put you down to then make them more worthy or more valuable or yeah. validate themselves so this is where you then get the whole cycle of well there's love bombing yeah. then you get the whole devaluation then you get the discard then you get the hoovering up and this is why they run those four cycles because what it means is it's i can constantly make you this fantasy of how good you are then because i can destroy you being that good then i must be good and then what you find is it goes round in that circle there. 
but it would become passive aggressive in terms of somebody on the outside wouldn't necessarily know and it's not direct enough to trigger like rage or anger or an argument so it's kind of sly underhand comments that are designed to be detrimental to you and your own behaviors your own psychology your own mental health and slowly it degrades you so it's an element of narcissism that you'll see but it's not a narcissistic trait it's just it's a way of coercing somebody to give them this up and down ride of yes you're worth something no you're not without and then and that's where you then get like the gaslighting element which then thank you i was just i was just gonna say it's a form of gaslighting yeah Mm -hmm. and oh my god that's exactly what happened to me so uh so many times that i was told i was compared to her ex-husband i was compared to prior boyfriends and uh because she was from another country and and a different ethnicity i was Mm -hmm. the first american she dated and of course there's going to be so many cultural differences and 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 we were we're both later in our lives we you know, it's a little different when you meet when you're 20, 25, because you're growing up in the same society. So you have a lot of commonality, but, but mm-hmm. you take two people in their late fifties who come from completely different backgrounds. And uh, so she often would compare me to so many people from the past and say, you know, nobody's ever treated me that way. Um, uh, so, some other day, I, 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 there's a story I could tell that it's a common practice in America um, and, and maybe in the United Kingdom. Um, I, I don't even know if I should explain it. When, when I was growing up um, in high school, it, there was this little thing that we did. If you were interested in a female and you were like at the school dance mm-hmm. uh, and you were holding hands, I'm, I'm going to hold my hand up to you, but the audience can't see this, but if you would rub your finger in their palm of their hand, do you know what that means? Yep. Yeah. It, it, I, I, no, we, we don't have anything like that over here, but. Okay. So, well, then, then it's an American thing. It means yep. that I like you and that I'm fine. I'm infatuated. It's just kind of like if you're holding hands and you just rub your pinky in their palm of their hand. And I, we were dancing one night, we were taking salsa lessons and she, I, I, I did that. In her culture, it's calling her a prostitute. It's saying you're a whore. And and oh my God, she didn't talk to me for a week until I had to Google it and find it and tell her that it's an American common practice for mostly teenagers. And oh my God, what what a rift that it caused between us for such a long time. So I I, I got off topic there. Um, Chris, we're, we're running out of time. I, I am, I need to have you back because I am just fascinated with your in-depth analysis and insight into so many of what's really going on. Everything from like what you're talking about posting on Instagram to the terminology that that's getting bantered around in, in, in social media and our culture. Um, let, let's talk about you a little bit, just, just to mm-hmm. get some insight yep. into you. You uh, you also have a background in Reiki, if I'm pronouncing yep. that right, which is R E I K I. What can you briefly tell us what that's what that is? 
So if you look at it from a definition perspective, it's basically a um, Japanese term that's designed for like stress reduction, um, energy flow. So you've probably heard of like total Chinese medicine, um, but it's more of like Eastern medicine and more traditional um, kind of practice, basically. So more holistic health type stuff. So the idea behind it is to use the innate force that is within all of us and everything, even if you go into like scientific principles and go back to the basics of an atom, everything in the space between is like 0.0000001% energy or something stupid like that. Mm. So all we're looking at is we're looking at manipulating, not from a negative perspective, but moving like energy around the body and the system so what you do is you basically act as like a conduit in order to energetically connect with somebody's meridians or their chakra system or anything whereby you can pick up energetic blocks so from like my side if i um, use my hands i can use a lot of it to work out where people have blocks in their energy systems i can clear their energies And from like the perspective of when I do coaching and things like that, I've used it historically to um, aid with like physical ailments. So um, there was a lady that came to me. She had, I think it was three failed IVF treatments. Um, She had PCOS that she developed when she was in her 20s and just met her husband at the time she came to me for like a hypnotherapy session so this was back in my my early days when I first started out and during the hypnotherapy session we went back to a past life and it worked out that she had a daughter who was killed in a field in 1840 in Louisiana but obviously she's of like Indian heritage Um, it's clearly past lives from that perspective but the guy that killed her daughter in the field was actually her husband in this lifetime so energetically and like through reincarnation and through karma and all these other sort of potential esoteric topics um they obviously met in this lifetime but there was an energetic block that meant that obviously they were meant to undo this karma but her body was set up to block bringing this child in because She knew that she had a child, but if the child was brought in, the guy that killed the child is technically sleeping in the bed next to her. So as much as like when you look at it across lifetimes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. In this lifetime, she's still energetically trying to protect this child. So um, she came to me for the hypnotherapy. Uh, She then eventually ended up having the child. And it was about a week out from the set of instructions that I gave her, which in itself is pretty much a miracle. Um, But that was over like a year ago. But energetically, I had to clear a lot of stuff um, that was kind of going on in the background in terms of like the physical ailments. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's not necessarily a tangible thing. No. But the person on the receiving end of it can feel where you open up the meridians, where you open up the chakras, where you're doing the energy clearings. So it's it's one of those that it's. It's trusting in something that you can't see to basically the point of getting the benefit of that healing, even though there is a lot more going on energetically than we think there is. So Reiki is one form of it. You've got things like acupuncture, 
that technically is more of a, a hands-on um sort of tangible element yeah. um yoga is obviously more tangible but they're, they're all basically formations of the same and they're all concept they're all eastern but all from the eastern exactly yeah yeah, yeah. whereas um, we've lost sight of that over here in kind of the western world but although, this is although we've got all the problems yeah although it's it's it is it's becoming more prominent mm. now um this is not along the lines of Eastern medicine, but uh, and, and the audience knows this. I, I got into tarot card reading, so I I, I studied um, the tarot card world, which um, also has to do a lot with astro with uh, astronomy and also the chakra system. Um, I, you can't yep. see it on now, but on my wall I have the chakra, the the seven points on the body, and so I am familiar with that. Chris, I, I I have a as you were talking, I wrote down so many things. I want to get into hypnotherapy. I want to get more into um, some more trauma, and um, and then I want to hear. I I understand that you have a story from you have a had had a traumatic relationship. We we need to do this again. <laughs> if you, we did, if you, we, we did. It's been fun. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm just fascinated with uh, everything that you said and and it's um i when i this relationship ended for mine i was a lost soul wandering for seven months just not understanding what happened and you just explained to me so much of her and why she did what she did and how i why i stayed that's another thing. I, I would like to talk about why people stay in these relationships longer than they should. So, um, okay. D my last question to you, and then we'll wrap it up, is okay, cool. what is your focus of your practice? So if I wanted to contact you, I would contact you for what? For help in a trauma incident? So, or... Yeah, so, so this is where, like, my work and what I do is not limited. So um, kind of whereas you could talk about niching down or niching down and going into, like, relationships, this is more of a holistic um, okay. kind of aspect. So be it spiritual, mental, emotional, or physical, there is something that can be done. So be it reversing sort of physical conditions like PCOS or like migraines or anxiety or depression, um, you can literally get to the stage whereby we can unpick how these were created, what their purpose is, what they're doing for you. Um, from the emotional side, you're clearing all these emotions. You're not basically bottling them up anymore, but kind of this is all one big process at the end of the day mentally we've constructed things that kind of either are survival adaptations or they once served us at a perspective or point in life but we're now running them and they're out of date so we need to rewire the beliefs the understandings the structures and the systems and ultimately it boils down to the spiritual aspect which is you as a human being without all of the conditioning without all of the baggage so whatever your kind of point of reference is i've had people come to me for emotional eating and it's linked to how they proceed with their business and how they're stuck in business so as much as those two things are totally like not linked um clearly somewhere in the subconscious there's links 
So basically my whole practice is anybody that is out of alignment with natural, healthy, good well-being, no matter what it looks like, is in a position whereby they can come and talk to me and we can probably make a hell of a change in their life. And that could be trauma related. That could just be limiting beliefs and structures. It, it, it's it's yeah. kind of, it's, it's not your norm. Um, so you're not going to come to me just for relationships. Yes, I can fix your relationship, but ultimately it links back to you as the individual. So that's the key element. It's like as much as we were talking earlier about how she was doing things to you in your relationship and how you were doing things from like playing out your childhood, what we'd have to do is at some point we'd have to get back to where you were zero to seven yeah. and where you learned it originally. And once we nail that sweet spot, the rest of it just falls away. And then it's on to the next lesson, onto the next growth, right. onto the next bit of development, onto your like next like soul evolutionary element so that's more of the work that i do i get people from where they are to more where they want to be mm. but we Good. get rid of all the physical manifestations emotional and mental constructs that don't need to be there in the first place so I, d I don't want to kind of limit myself to say well i'm just an empowerment and relationship coach for instance no no, no i can literally clear probably anything you come to me with Wow. And uh, that's that's kind of how I want to be kind of known because okay. it's kind of like a one size fits all, but not a jack of all trades, master of none type structure. So okay. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. I will put all of this. Uh, you did send me a bio and um, and, mm -hmm. and all the things that you uh, I think also your contact information. So I will put all of that in the show notes um and and to my audience i don't know you heard what i just heard i'm fascinated i am i'm uh, this is just really what i needed to hear today uh because i do believe in you know in in, in especially in my uh, in the in the past 20 30 years i've been i've been living with bipolar disorder and and alcoholic recovery and all that and i i've gone the traditional route and I know that there is alternative ways to deal with this kind, especially the trauma and and um, and repeating the same patterns over and over again. You know, all we say repeating the same mistakes over and over again is the definition of insanity. It's, it's like you expect different results, but you're doing the same things. Um, I And I always say this to my guests. It's like, where were you two years ago when I needed you? <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> all right chris, yeah, chris chris thank you so much for uh joining us i know it's uh evening in in uh, so you're in the uk you're in uh may i is it england are you in yeah i'm down by um london so london. Uh, okay. nine nine p.m here but no it's been a pleasure okay. anytime all right chris thank you so much we we will chat and we will talk again and i would love to have you back because i, I have a list of questions here so uh we we will we will do this again everybody chris pap not say it again paprotney paprotney <laughs> okay <laughs> okay thank you chris so, so much good. anonymous andrew here with a post note from this episode phenomenal interview with chris paprotney from the united kingdom um this was unexpected um just as an insight as to how we find guests, we have a 
there's several venues and we come across guests who are looking to be on podcast or I can go look for someone who I think might be a good fit for the podcast. And then you do a pre-interview, et cetera, et cetera. And Chris, because he was in England, our the time difference was difficult for us to get together and do a pre-interview. So we just got on today and winged it. And I have to tell you, um, you know, while we did email back and forth and I did get his bio and I knew what he was about and what his practice was about, it was beyond my expectations. So we will be having Chris back. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, should you have any questions? Um, he went into great detail about narcissism and gaslighting and passive aggressive and um, everything that you just heard. If you have any questions, uh, we will be having him back and I would like to have him answer your questions. So please contact me through anonymousandrewpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram. You can follow me, anonymousandrewpodcast. Send me your questions or send me your story and maybe we'll share it. Um, either I'll have you on as an anonymous guest or we'll share your story with Chris or any number of, of guests. So again, thank you for listening. And please, if you're enjoying the show, please give me five stars or whatever amount of stars you think I deserve. But anything helps the algorithm push this podcast up. Again, thank you for listening and ciao.